1 John 4, beginning at verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us of his Spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like him. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother or sister, they're a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother or sister. The word of the Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, it, it seems like a long time ago already, but it's only 12 days ago since we gathered to celebrate Christmas. And on that day, with great joy and much music, we fulfilled, we celebrated the fulfillment of prophecy. 700 some years before we hit the New Testament, the prophet Isaiah had spoken the word of the Lord to the people of Israel in captivity. And he had spoken very specifically about the day that would come on which the Messiah would be born. And on Christmas morning, but 12 days ago, we were reminded of the story from Luke 2 that it happened. Mary gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for him in the inn. And the angel had told Mary, you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And so if you remember, we celebrated in this place and probably in many other places that you were visiting, we celebrated as Isaiah wrote it in chapter 9, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Now, there can be no doubt about it, Christmas, as the story is recorded in the Bible, is really a uniquely Christian 
feast. And it tells an amazing story. It tells a story of God's love. And it's a story that helps us to give, uh, helps to give us a true definition of what love is. And it's a story that reminds us that love, biblically speaking, is an action word. Now, to get at all of this, let me back up once again to that message on Christmas Day in the context of Isaiah 62. And for those of you who weren't here on Christmas Day, this will help you to put it in context. And for others, it'll be a reminder. At the time of Isaiah, the people of Israel had been in exile in Babylon, separated from their beloved homeland, separated from Jerusalem, separated from the temple, and thereby seemingly separated from God himself. And they were there in exile, of course, because of their rebellion and their disobedience to the Lord and His will and His way. But despite the punishments and the removal from the land, the Lord had promised that the day was coming when the people would be restored to the promised land. The day was coming when the people would be restored to the holy city, Jerusalem, and that city would be restored as well. And the message of redemption, the message of restoration was driven home to the people through a number of the names that the Lord was going to give his people, Isaiah 62. No longer will they call you deserted or rejected. No longer will they call you desolate or ruined. But now they're going to call you Hapsabah or my delight. And your land Beulah or Mary. It's an amazing promise of incredible intimacy. God had not forgotten his people. On the contrary, the Lord made it clear that he delighted in his people and in the land, much like a groom delights in his bride. And so we saw on Christmas Day that God's love for his people is indeed extraordinary. But it got even more exciting because beyond those names were some other names given to God's people, the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. Jesus came to usher in the kingdom of heaven and establish his holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. The move in the Bible from rejected people to holy people is remarkable. The move from darkness to light, from being lost in sin to being forgiven is remarkable and praiseworthy. And we noted that all of it is possible because of what God did in Christ, which led to a unique name for God's people in verse 12 of Isaiah 62, sought out. Sought out. God's people are sought out or sought after. And receiving the name sought out or sought after means that the events of Christmas are all about God and his plan of salvation. Christmas is a uniquely Christian story of God moving into our neighborhood, as Eugene Peterson puts it, and becoming like us in every way except that he didn't sin. One of the major teachings of Christianity is that God loves us enough to seek us out even before we start trying to find him. Jesus Christ is God's gift to us. 
And the wonder of Christmas is that the Lord humbled himself and came to us and sought us out, sought out or sought after is our name. As already noted, all this speaks volumes about God and his love for us, something that the Apostle John highlighted in his writings. John, whose contributions to the Bible are the Gospel of John and his three letters, is known as the Apostle of Love. He was one of the disciples who was in the inner circle with Jesus along with Peter and James. And John always seemed to have a special place in Jesus' heart, which is perhaps why he came to understand something of the true meaning of love. Certainly it is John who connects the love dots as it were, between the Old and New Testaments and the message of salvation. And he tells us all about God's wondrous love in Christ. We heard it already this morning, the heart of the Christian message, John 3:16. God so loved the world that he sent his only son, Jesus, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God so loved the world Love comes from God, writes John. Love is not something that people came up with. On the contrary, we have a natural tendency to hate God and our neighbor. Love comes from God. And when we read 1 John 4, actually when you read the whole letter, you cannot help but be struck by the fact that God loves in writing these words, the Apostle John would have us understand hereby a very basic truth about God. And the truth is that our God, the Lord whom you and I serve, is not some generic great being in the sky, nor is he the man upstairs whom we aim to please, come what may. Nor is he some fierce tyrant who is ready to strike us if we happen to step out of line. Nor is he some faraway, unreachable, impersonal force or entity as the Star Wars story would have us believe. He's not a God who started everything at one time and then stepped back from the universe and let it spin on its own. The Lord is not some uninterested bystander who has more important things to do than be interested in our piddly little concerns. Rather, the Bible declares to us in no uncertain terms, God is love. He is love. That's what he is in himself. He is love personified. The Lord the Bible speaks of is one who is constantly, lovingly involved in his creation and his universe. He is also constantly, lovingly involved with his people, and he cannot help it, so to speak. It's what he is, and it's what he does. God is love in and of himself. He's not only the epitome of it, he is it. It flows naturally from him because he is love by nature. That's the first thing that's striking in this passage. The second thing that's striking in this passage is that God loves us of all things. He doesn't only love his son or the Holy Spirit or the angels or the universe he, he made, but God loves you and me 
as insignificant and as weak or as frail and sinful as we are, maybe as unlovable as we are. And the Bible makes it very clear in its revelation concerning God that he's a personal God who has a heart who grieves for the lostness of the creation, who blesses and who heals, who has his arms outstretched, ready to welcome the sinner. Adam, Eve, where are you? He's pictured as the good shepherd constantly going out and searching after the lost sheep. He gives us the name sought out or sought after. How incredibly he must love us. After all, what a mess we've made of his perfect creation. And yet he seeks us out. John writes in chapter 4, verse 9 and 10, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. You see, if you and I want to know what real love is all about, don't look at some YouTube video or some news story about someone who did something fantastic for another person. You know, the kind of story that brings tears to your eyes and surely they must have loved much. No, if you want to know what real love is, look at Jesus Christ, the child of Bethlehem. Look at the suffering one on the cross of Calvary. When you look at him, you see selfless love, the love that the Bible calls agape love. God loved us so much that he gave his only son freely by grace even before we loved him. He first loved us, says John. Had he loved only those whose hearts had some love toward him, he would have loved no one because sin destroyed all of our love for God but the gospel is the wonderful gospel is while we were still sinners Christ died for us well knowing this to be true one writer then asked when reflecting on the Christmas story quote how can we conceivably continue as if nothing has happened Will we allow the events of these last days to fall again to the backdrop of our lives? The famous preacher Charles Spurgeon, reflecting on the truth that God sought us out, asked, if, we be really, if it be really so that you are such debtors to divine seeking, ought you not to spend your whole lifetime in seeking others out? Indeed. God's love drives us to love in response. How could it not drive us to love in response? Love is an action word. And John writes, we love because he first loved us. You see, it's precisely because of the love given so freely by God in Jesus Christ to us, his people, that we can love others.
God's love accepted by faith is the source of the Christian's love. God's love to us is the motivator for our love to others. It's something like the plants that come up from the ground each spring again. They don't come up in the spring in order to get the sun to shine brighter and warmer. Rather, it's the other way around. The sun is the first to warm the ground, and then the plants begin to respond. And so it is with God's love. It's there first through the working of the Holy Spirit, and what follows is love in us, which then flows around to those around us. All this talk about love, and all this talk about God's gift, and all this talk about Christmas, and so what God gave us, becomes very, very practical. Because God sought us out, because God sent his son into our neighborhood and died for us and rose again, therefore, says 1 John 2.15, if anyone loves the world, the love of God isn't in him or her. That's pretty practical. If you're in love with the world, then obviously you haven't understood God's love. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. 1 John 3, 16, we ought to lay down our lives for others. That's pretty practical. The same point is found in John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this, than that they lay down their life for their friends. And then Jesus went on to tell his disciples, and by the way, you are my friends. In other words, love means a readiness on our part to do anything for other people. It means saying no to one's life so that others may live. It means being ready to meet others' needs, whatever the cost may be to us. John goes on. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in them? In other words, as believers, as people who have experienced God's love, we simply cannot turn a blind eye to the poor and the hungry in our world. Let us love with words and tongue. Let us not love with words and tongue, but with actions and in truth, says John in chapter 3, verse 18. Christianity is not about sitting in a church or listening to podcasts or reading endless books. But it's a faith that calls us to action. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother or sister, that person is a liar. This is love for God, says John in chapter 5, verse 3 to obey his commands. This is the message we have heard from the beginning, he writes in chapter 3, verse 11. We should love one another. Love is an action word. We love because he first loved us. We live because he lives. And so the confession believers make is a grand one, and the message the church of Jesus has to declare to the world is a joyful one. 
God loves his people, sinful as we are, poor and sad as we are. In spite of the things we experience in our lives, nevertheless, God loves us so much that he gave up all his dearest to him, his son. And that's where love begins and is in God. And then, of course, most specifically in the God of the Bible, for there is no other God like unto him. He alone is God. So how can we conceivably continue on as if nothing has happened? Spurgeon asked, if it really be so that you are such debtors to divine seeking, ought you not to spend your whole lifetime in seeking others out? In other words, what God has done for us has direct, clear implications for how we live our lives. It must. It has to, or else Christmas is just useless. And our Christian living is not so that we can gain status with the Lord, or so that we can earn our salvation, or our wings, or a place in heaven, or anything of the sort. It seems to be one of the toughest things for people to understand and accept, even those who have graced the pews of churches for many years, because we always somehow think that our works save us. You hear that language all the time. You think our works save us. Give it up, folks. They don't. Jesus saves us. Our good works do not save us. They are a response. They are a tribute. They're a thanks offering to the Lord who loved us first. Despite our sinful and morally deformed conditions. And like I said, this has implications. So over the next eight weeks, we're going to be looking and we're going to get very practical about our loving response to God. And so we're going to be looking very specifically at what it means to be called to mission. Internationally, nationally, regionally, locally. We're going to be hearing more about that just before the prayer this morning. There's a flyer about that in your mailboxes as well. We're going to take a look at what it means to take care of the land over which we've been placed as stewards. So some earth-keeping thoughts. We're going to look at how to properly use the talents the Lord gave each of us. We're going to look at world hunger and our responsibilities concerning caring for those who are poor. Yes, the little old yellow Peter fish is going to make an appearance again soon. We're going to dig into what it means to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. We're going to take a look at our daily work activities and how our jobs create places of shalom in a fallen world, all because of God's love. At the end of the journey, we're going to join the cadets and the gems by focusing on their theme concerning what it means to be a blessing. And then all along the grade four through six classes are going to be given certain challenges to complete that fit the theme of the Sunday, and our small groups in our communities are going to look at material that will ask questions of us and challenge us as to what it means to live in response to God's love for us. And besides all that, if you haven't picked it up yet, today's devotional booklet is all about practical ways to live out the faith, Jesus on Main Street. We are a sought-out, sought-after people belonging to God. 
that has and it has to have major implications for our lives. And those are not implications that we can run away from or just simply ignore and say, well, that doesn't affect me. If you're one of the sought after, if you're one of the believers, if you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, the implications also are for you. We love because he first loved us. What a gospel. What a responsibility. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you that you loved us even before we loved you. We thank you for your great gift to us in Christ Jesus. But it cannot leave us just sitting on the sideline. It's also a call to action because love is an action word. And so as we go into this series and as we go into study and as we become very, very practical, we pray, O oh Lord, that you would allow us to take up the challenge, to talk together, to work together, to make changes, to do something, to show that indeed we love you because you first loved us. We are grateful for the gift of salvation. We praise you and we honor you. And we pray that our lives may fully reflect your love. In Jesus' name, amen.